0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. I'm uh, Jim Barton, amateur theologian, and I'm here with Pastor. So. I'm
1: Reverend Abigail Conley, Pastor of Chalice Christian Church.
0: And we are at Postino's in um, in Gilbert, which is uh, okay. They have great food and stuff here, but they don't have Bloody Marys, so I have to have a a, a, a Bellini and a uh, um, what's this one called? Mimosa. A mimosa. And then uh, also it's a little loud, so we're going to do our best and hopefully it'll come through. Today we're going to talk about how the church and to some extent the Bible relates to transgender folks and transgender issues. And basically just a, uh, you know, spoiler alert, um, Abby and I are both very okay with transgender people. We believe that people who are transgender are a creation of God and that they should be loved and affirmed and... Um, like I said, you know, basically treated as a blessed creation of God. And so since we believe that, we'd like to talk today about how do we reconcile that with some of the rhetoric you hear from others about what the Bible says um, about transgender issues. So I'm going to kick things off and kind of do the run-through. I think that, um, you know, first off, the Bible does talk about cross-dressing. The Bible has a couple of passages that say... You know, a man shouldn't wear a woman's dress and a woman shouldn't wear a man's cloak. There's some business like that. Um, there's a little bit in um, in Paul talking about uh, men shouldn't have long hair, but women should have long hair. Which is a little bit awkward, given that we're pretty sure Jesus had long hair. But Paul didn't see Jesus, so he gets a pass on it. So, the idea of behaving like a person of the other gender, right, is in the Bible. And the, generally speaking, it seems that the folks that are writing are against it. They don't like that idea. Then there's a lot of other stuff that's less helpful, which is there's uh, some stuff about gay sex acts, which has nothing to do with being transgender. Um, There's stuff in the Bible about uh, sexual promiscuity, again, which has nothing to do with transgender. So I think we do have gender roles, right? We have particularly Paul writes about gender roles, but oftentimes that can be confusing because The author is using a system that's in place as a metaphor. So you have a system in place where the man is the head of household, and then you say, well, Jesus is like the man who's the head of household. That's not necessarily endorsing the system where a man is the head of household. That's just using the in-place system as a convenient metaphor. So I think there's a lot of noise um, when you're trying to read scripture and you're thinking about this issue of transgender. In particular, if you think about the fact that the whole concept of transgender is one that we're still getting our heads around. I would say that most Americans, it's hard for them to understand the difference between cross-dressing, which I I describe as a straight person, a gender normative person, a person who's of their assigned gender, that just dresses opposite, or dresses. So I'm a man, and I behave as a man, and I put on women's clothing for whatever reason. That's very different than if I'm a person who's born with male sex organs and am assigned at birth, uh, identity as male, but then decide, then realize as I get older, you know what, I'm not, I'm actually a female. I'm actually a woman. That's a totally different experience and I think most, um, a lot of people have trouble grasping it. And I certainly think something this subtle idea about gender was not present in the Bible. I just don't think the people that were reading and writing the Bible had that sort of subtlety. So I think that is another um, uh, hurdle for us to overcome in the Bible. So with that, um, I'm going to kick it over to Abby and let her talk about one thing that is a little bit of a subtle gender issue.
1: So with what you were saying about just trans issues in general, one of the issues raised, especially with the cross-dressing and biblical issue, is the fact that if you're talking about trans issues you're not talking about a problem with gender roles, you're talking about a difference in gender identity. And you pointed out that, but often that verse about cross-dressing particularly is picked out, and it's like, well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a man who likes to wear women's clothes, we're talking about someone who presents as male who is a woman, and those are very different things. Um, And that comes to the question of, you know, What is gender identity in the Bible? And so it is lumped together with sex and, you know, what you present as, but it's also a binary. Um, In Genesis, in the beginning God created male and female. Well, so with that gender binary, we actually know beyond a doubt that that's not true. And that's a purely biological fact that not everybody is born with internal and external sexual organs that match. Not everyone who presents in one way is genetically the other way, um, or based on biology. And so when you get those intersex people and those different, actually purely biological, we can point to those factors that really confuses things. And it confuses this idea that there are only two genders. And then the other thing that is often brought up in the trans-Christian community as... A point of conversation is the notion of eunuch, and that there is this kind of third gender somehow presented in the Bible that um, doesn't fulfill either traditional gender role. So, as a eunuch, as a castrated male, typically not able to have a family, but there's a prophet who rewrites that narrative, and eunuchs will be given a household and all of this stuff. And then, um, this this strange notion that comes up again and again that there is this this person that doesn't fit inside these norms on either way. And particularly what comes up then is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I was actually... Many times we've been in the tradition that said, we don't reduce someone to their sexuality or gender identity in this case, so to call him the Ethiopian eunuch on itself is problematic. So we'll talk about the man from Ethiopia who we know to be a eunuch, and that story goes he was sitting, he was reading the word of God, he was a God-fearer, so not fully converted, and Philip, one of the twelve, comes along and finds him and says, what are you reading? And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? Right. So Philip explains it to him. And the man says, well, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Philip says nothing. So they get out, there's water, he's baptized, and then Philip is whisked away. And that's the end of the biblical narrative. But according to tradition, it's not the end of his story altogether. Um... Instead, he went back to Ethiopia. He returned to his homeland, and he started a church. And that church continues as the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which maintains that it is the longest standing Christian church. They have the largest canon. It's um, a really cool tradition. But you have this kind of lie in the face against against the idea of a eunuch as not only third gender, but also outside the community, becoming central to the community in Christianity, and central to our story, not just as a whole church, but particularly for one church.
0: Um, And it's interesting to note that there are other places in the Bible where it says that a eunuch can't enter the house of God. Right. So. There's a conflict within that as well uh, in 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 the scriptures. Um, you know, yeah, we do talk about when we talk about gender, we do say male, the God, God created them male and female. Um, but then we have a passage that says in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, East nor you know male nor female. They're basically right. saying that in Christ, all that stuff is irrelevant. And I think in the Genesis story, it's describing the world. And it does uh, this. It does sort of set the stage for what you're talking about of a binary understanding of gender. And I don't think the later scripture from Paul is reversing that. But I do think the later scripture from Paul is saying, well, but that stuff is not as important right. as our faith. Right. And to me, that's kind of an overarching concept too that we bring to to the, to the scripture.
1: Right. In the same way that Christian tradition has rewritten the narrative of fertility. So you have this story where. You have to have kids, and that's how you kinda of continue to faith. Well, by Christian tradition, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So you get a very, very different conversation around that. And if we're going to And celebrating
0: in this- celebrating abstinence. Right. Um, so so in the old testament, you're right. We have all this stuff about we've gotta build a nation, right? Mm-hmm. And then here comes along Paul lifting up abstinence. Now he says if you gotta have sex, then get married, do sex within marriage. Right. But really the best way, just don't do it. Right. Well, that's a pretty dramatic twist on uh, on sexuality.
1: Yeah, and you know, it had been the, first, the few hundred years before where that shift had taken place to some extent in Judaism. And so, excuse me, celibacy was becoming a more accepted path for at least some. And so like the communities like the Essenes that were celibate and monks. Um, but it is a shifting conversation. And I think the other thing is, we just celebrated Pentecost this past Sunday, and we said, okay, everyone is gifted with the Holy Spirit. This is the story of Pentecost. Um, and not only each person, but especially the community gathered, that the community gathered is blessed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God is present with us. And what comes with that is we don't assume that the Bible is the seal of everything. This is continued right. discussion, continued interpretation, and ongoing revelation within the community. And yeah, the Bible frames that conversation, but in no way is it the end of that conversation. So,
0: And that church started by the Ethiopian, who happens to be a eunuch, was started way before the Bible was a thing. Right. Right? It predates the Bible. Right. And so... That, that's another reason why we can't the, the, the Bible can't be the end all be all, the end of the discussion because the Bible, we had a couple hundred years of Christianity without it
1: right, um, so it can't be and if we go to alright, so here's what we know and here's how we're going to talk about this in our world, in our context what is our default position and um, I think we have two default positions, one is do not be afraid that is, phrase has come up more in Scripture than any other phrase, over and over again. I forget how many times Jesus says it. The only thing he talks more about is money than do not be afraid. <laughs> and we're all super comfortable talking
0: right. about money. Well, we're fine. We just don't like it the way Jesus talked about it. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Um, and so, do not fear, and then love your neighbor. So if you take those stances, even if with a very different reaction than what's happening right now,
0: Right, because right now we are seeing. Um, I mean, what's curious is uh, with each group moving for civil rights, the concerns are so different. And so, with the trans community, we see this um, bathroom bills, this issue that really goes to humiliate, that really is an effort to sort of uh, dehumanize. You know, individuals with the passage of legislation it's very um it's like very aggressive to me in 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 its nature um but i think you're right when you talk about fear because i do think it is it is all about fear
1: yeah and you know the kind of moderate version of this is well what if you know, men who are predators use this bathroom bill to gain access to women's restrooms and rape them. Right. Well, so again, we're policing men by policing everyone else. No, okay. Right. Um, and just continuing that pattern again and again. And, you know, part of it is this whole history of we have to have gender segregated society, right. which is rooted in horrible sexism against gender binary. And people who are fully in line with the gender, the the sex that they were born with, their gender matches, saying, yeah, but women clearly have to be separated because they need things to be more delicate and nice. And,
0: yeah. It is very interesting to me because, um, obviously, gender is a construct. Gender is a social construct. And um, most of my life has... In uh, thinking about gender roles, has been about um, sort of challenging gender roles. Right. Well, a woman can do anything. Well, a man can take care of his kids. Well, why couldn't uh, you know a woman be president? Well, why couldn't a man be a nurse? Like, and so that's an interesting backdrop, I think, for uh, when you have folks that say, "Well, that's fine, whatever." But there are there are nonetheless gender roles in our society, and I am a person who. I am the gender different from my biology, right. and that's just that's an interesting thing for me. It's, I don't know that it, what it informs of the conversation, but I do think it's an interesting spin on a lot of what we talk about. Right. And I guess we should say too, just to be clear, is that there are people who um, are born with a male or female genitalia that identify with the opposite gender. And then there also are people who are born with both genitalia mm-hmm. that are assigned a gender and are assigned wrongly. Right. And so I think that's just another, you know, because this whole topic is not something we're very comfortable with as a society. It's just another layer of misunderstanding, I think.
1: Right. And you know, why bathroom bills? Because guess what? That's the only place in public sphere that there's a clear gender concern. Right. And, you know, we're, we're sitting at Postino's in Gilbert. We're right around the corner's Liberty Market. It's the only place I've ever been that had totally gender-neutral bathrooms because they have all the sinks out together, and then each toilet is in a stall. And, you know, put some nice peer pressure to wash your hands, of Right, course. right. But you're going in a bathroom, and...
0: Gilbert, Arizona, wait. forward-thinking bastion of transgender equality. Right. So... All right. Well, maybe we should end on that. An up note for the town of <laughs> the town of Gilbert, where we live. So, all right. Well, um, I think we will uh, uh, sign off there, and we will um, put this up soon. And look forward to seeing you guys next time. Cheers.